Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast with John McMahon and John Kaplan. This podcast is brought to you by Force Management. Force's solutions and its new sales performance accelerator, Ascender, help companies, small teams, and individuals improve sales performance. Today, we bring you a short segment on champions. Force Management's Ann Gary joins John McMahon, and they break down the nuances of a champion technical versus business champion, getting to the economic buyer, and the difference between a power chart and an org chart. Here we go. Okay, Ed, so let's go back to what a rep should be looking for when they're trying to find a champion. Well, for me, the obvious place to start is with an organization chart. And I just have to say, you know, of these opportunity reviews I do, I bet 98% of these opportunity reviews that I do, people do not have an organization chart. And that is absolutely, in my mind, the first place to start. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now that makes sense. But just to be clear, if they did have an org chart, what would the org chart actually tell them? Mm-hmm. Well, the org chart tells you the hierarchy of the organization, you know, the reporting structure, who reports to who, what the departments look like, in the company, but most importantly, it shows the people with what I'll call positional authority. Right, right. Positional authority. So when you say positional authority, you mean people in managerial, you know, directorial and vice presidential roles, the leaders in the company that have authority simply based upon their position, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what won't an organization chart tell you? Well, actually, one of the most important things that it won't tell you is who really has influence. You may see somebody at, you know, an executive level, but they could be retiring. And frankly, their their influence might not be that high in, in that case. So it's really important to not only understand the organization chart in terms of the authority structure, right, but also to understand more of the influence that these people have so that you understand who can make an impact on decisions, who can actually control or alter decisions, for example, let's say, um, influencing decision criteria, et cetera. Okay. But what is it that gives these people, you know, influence over decisions in an organization? Yeah, I've typically seen that there's two factors associated with this. One is they have strong internal political power. And why is that? The reason they do is that they've made impact And the person that they're actually working with trusts them because they know that they've actually, you know, had impact on the organization, positive impact on the organization. And they understand how to work in an organization and be collaborative with people and and drive towards, you know, a decision that's in the best interest of the company. The other thing I find is that you can see a lot of people with strong technical expertise. So they're really SMEs, subject matter experts with regards to the particular, particular decision that someone's trying to make. And a lot of times people will go to them because they honestly don't have that kind of knowledge. They haven't been, you know, in the in the uh, bowels of the company you know, kind of executing on the things that need to be done. So those are the two kinds of uh, factors that I typically see. Okay. So that's interesting. In other words, just because somebody has positional authority in a company, meaning that they show up on the organization chart, we can't automatically conclude that they have power in the organization over a potential decision to buy our software. They certainly have some power, just not the power to influence the decision during our sales process. And more importantly, they may not have any influence to sway a decision with the economic buyer when the EB is making a key purchase selection regarding our software. Mm -hmm. That's right. right? Exactly. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. So, you know, with that in mind, really the first thing to do in terms of thinking about finding a champion is to uncover the people in the organization that have this influence. And that's why we call it the power chart, you know, the influencer power chart. And I'm typically looking for people who are associated with change because they don't put people in positions of helping change organizations if they haven't seen again in the past that they've had the ability to do that. So that's one way to, to basically identify if there's influence as a starting point. Okay. So just to give a little more clarity to what you mean by the power chart, what you're saying is that typically it's some change agents that you've seen in your experience. So it could be somebody that's in charge of a strategic initiative um, assigned by the C, some C-level executive, the CIO, the CEO, the CRO. Um, it could be somebody you know, on a, on critical projects. It's those types of people that you're referring to as change agents that could be on the power chart. Exactly. Exactly. Because a lot of sales reps come to me and they say, well, how do I know? How do I identify someone? I say, well, remember champion and change. Start with the CH. Look for change. And you'll, likely you're going to find, if it's not a champion, you'll find the breadcrumb trail to the champion based on what you were just talking about. Okay, that's really good, Anne. But just to clarify a little deeper for the audience, I think it's really important for salespeople to understand that the people on the power chart, they can reside at any level, even many different levels of an organization chart. They don't have to be very high up in an organization. To your point earlier, maybe there's a business champion that's up higher and a technical champion that's down lower in the organization. So what we're really saying is true influence over a political uh, potential decision is independent of the standing in the hierarchy. Definitely. In fact, I think that, you know, there's been many situations where someone lower in the organization, which you might have considered not in an authority position, was able to make a lot of influence. Again, going back to that subject matter expert, the person trusted them and knew that they had the company's best interest in mind. So I think that people get confused and think, well, they, I always have to attach myself to somebody higher in the organization. And that's good, right, to be able to do that. But you also can't neglect that people lower in the organization can actually help quite a bit if they are connected into that power chart. Right. So the, the best, it makes the most sense to try to target people who have both influence and authority, meaning that they show up on both the art chart and the power chart, right? Then we know we have a real champion. But exactly. let me ask you this. Have you found in the majority of cases that there's a distinction between a business champion and a technical champion? Definitely. So if you think about business champions, those are the people who really have strong business acumen. They're asking you questions relative to the positive business outcomes they're trying to achieve. You know, sometimes they actually have technical prowess as well. But they're very much associated or are interested in articulating you know, the, the business needs and what the uh, positive business outcomes will be. The people with that I'll call technical champions, again, are like the folks we talked about. They have subject, subject matter expertise, you know, deep domain expertise. And if you're lucky, you have somebody who's a technical champion that also understands and, and connects to that, you know, that business, uh, the, the positive business outcomes as well. But I think you have to make sure that you may have different people in those roles and not right. to use by leaving off typically the business champion that you need. Right. I've seen it many times where you have a high level business champion will understand the implications that the product will have on business outcomes, but may not 
fully understand all the details of the technology. So they naturally seek the advice of a technical champion to thoroughly evaluate the solution from a technical standpoint before they'll completely endorse the solution. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting too, when it comes to buying for company, an economic buyer commonly consults with lots of different people. We know, you know, getting to the collective yes is, is a major point. Now you think about all the people that can be involved in a, in a buying process. And so they'll consult with people with both influence and authority, but they'll also just consult with people as well and or with people with influence from different perspectives. It might be um, security. You know, I'm going to actually talk to someone in security because they actually are a subject matter expert in that, but they may not be high on the on the organization chart. So they're going to go after the different types of information they need, right, to be able to make a good decision. Right. I sometimes think of it as like, you know, it's seven o'clock at night. There's a key decision to be made. And the C-level person, the economic buyer in this case, may not go looking just for the people, you know, on that floor. So they basically are going down, you know, a couple levels to find the person that they know really understands how this impacts a business outcome. And the people that they know have the technical expertise to you know, give them insight on this decision. And they consult with these people because their expertise and credibility on past decisions has helped them develop a reputation with the economic buyer. And that relationship, that credibility has allowed them to maintain influence and gives them access in the future to economic buyer on future critical decisions. So another way to think about that access is that access to the economic buyer's power. That's what we're talking about when we talk about power, the power to be able to access the economic buyer. And that's power within the company. But there are also other critical reasons to get to a champion, right? Right, Anne? Oh, there's so many. I mean, there's there's so many reasons to have someone, you know, selling on your behalf and having that power and influence. But if we talk about just a few of them here, Obviously, controlling the the decision process. I think you've talked about this before that you really know you're in control when you have a champion, right? That's that's selling on your behalf, helping you control the decision criteria in terms of influence. And I've been in plenty of situations where people have not really understood, you know, the force ranking of decision criteria, and then you know somebody like a, a competitor's champion gets involved and they're shifting, but you didn't know that they shifted because you didn't know that in the first place. Mm-hmm. So your champion can help you with that. I think the other thing that I see very important lately is the metrics, both the technical and business metrics that are necessary to be able to justify the solution. So there's there's many reasons that you know we need to make sure that we're aligning again, well, first finding these champions, but making sure they have the influence within the organization. Okay. So having said that, I could get on a lot of different <laughs> parts of this conversation, but I guess we're, we're supposed to be talking about the difference between a coach and a champion here. So. Right, right, right. So let's talk a little bit about a coach, right? Give us a little insight on that. Do we just well, leave them out of the sales process? What do we do? No. And I think, you know, I have had some incredibly valuable coaches I and mean, they, you know, a lot of times they want you to win. They want to give you inside information. Um, they'll coach you through the sales process. So I think it's important for you to spend time with them. It's not a waste of time. You just have to make sure, again, that you don't get lured into the sense of complacency, thinking that you have a champion when indeed you don't. So it's important to work with them. 
Yeah. It's like you said, they can coach you. They'll meet with you. They may understand the value of your product. They may give you inside information. They want you to win. They may even coach you during the sales process. What we're seeing is the main difference is they're not going to be able to automatically overnight have that power to be able to access the economic buyer and have true influence on that decision inside that organization. That's the main difference. Exactly. And so, well, go ahead. Well, it's okay. So are there any other specific indicators reps should look for when they initially meet with a potential champion? Like how do you get a, how do you feel for that when you're first meeting with a potential champion or coach? So this is really important. When you're first introduced to someone, I'm listening very carefully for the language they use. And what is what is their view of the world? And typically a coach in, in the world that we're talking about here looks through the eyes of product fit and they're looking through the eyes of technology. And so often they'll ask you many questions relative to technology. But if you start doing discovery to try and understand what's the fit between the technology and the business problem they're trying to solve, often they can't go down the road of that conversation because they haven't thought about it themselves or they aren't maybe privy to some of that information. So that's one indicator to me. Now it might just be, you know, the first few conversations we have, that's what it is, but continue to test for that because if the conversation continually goes down that road, you have a pretty good indication that um, you're either developing a technical champion that doesn't have the business prowess that you need or you really have somebody with subject matter expertise that's just going to remain your coach. Right. So they may understand how the product can solve, you know, what might be a big problem for them, but it's a really small problem for the business. And businesses can live with many, many, many small problems, right? They sure can. I mean, if you think about so many of the situations I've been in, they, um, you know, we've done POCs or benchmarks or whatever it is. And you become you know, the, the winner or that you're, you're validated as a solution and it doesn't go anywhere because there isn't that tight connection to the initiatives or the you know, business problems that they're trying to solve right now. Okay. So on the other side, champions and business champions, as you said, you know, they look through the large eyes of business fit, you know, the lens of large business problems. I like to think of it as addressing issues, what I call above the noise. Like I said earlier, Businesses have hundreds, sometimes thousands of problems, right? Many of which they can live with because it doesn't have a direct impact on the major factors of the business. Um, So potential champions, what they're doing is they're thinking in terms of business outcomes and they're looking at business problems that are really above the noise, right? And they start to ask you questions and they speak in business terms because they're trying to solve substantial business problems. Exactly. And and this is the reason that people need to be listening for that. And we also need to ask discovery questions where the answers would be more related to the business problems. I mean, if we continue to ask technical questions, we're not likely to be able to understand that, right? Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the full episode on Champions. We've got another one on Economic Buyers with Anne. Go ahead and check them out. They're linked in the show notes.